Welcome to Advertising Week and this extraordinary conversation we're about to have with now three-time Advertising Week alumni, rock yeah. and roll icon, author, entrepreneur, and of course, founder of Motley Crue, the great Nikki Six. Hey. Thanks so much for being here, Nikki. Nice to see you again, Matt. Great to, great to be seen, as they say. So we want to talk about uh, a new book that yes. is just out now, How I Became Nikki Six, The First 21. Right. And it's an extraordinary book, Nikki. I was lucky enough to get a copy a few days ago and, and read it. And I love the dedication. That's yeah. usually something that you just skip over. Uh, but what you wrote from my family, so you may better understand my heart, dedication, lust for life and love for you. Yes. That sounds like something that came right from your heart. And I'd love to start by talking about why you wrote the book. Well, um, the, the short story is, you know, I've done pretty well with writing books. And so publishers are often, you know, reaching around and saying, hey, has Nikki got anything he wants to work on, which is a nice feeling. Um, and I had this idea. I, I have, a, it really bums me out when artists, uh, athletes, actors, uh, they come in, they work their whole life. They come into money. Uh, they, they don't know how to manage their money. I save 20% net, net, net of everything I've ever made. So um, the reason that I did that, I would have to adjust my life according to how much is left over after the 20% taxes and commissions. And I've, and, and I've been able to continue to write music and books and side projects and, you know, things like the musical because I, I, I'm able to withstand the downtimes, like even right now, down downtimes. And, and then I was thinking, you know, that's really not very sexy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 62. I was sitting on the back 20 acres of my property out here in Wyoming where we moved. And I'm looking at the Grand Tetons and the mountains. And as crow flies, it's only a couple hours to where I grew up in Jerome, Idaho. And I was sitting there and I just thought to myself, where, 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 where did everybody go? And I went inside and I wrote a couplet and it said, um, you know, it wasn't you that, 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 that lost. It's just one, once I started flying, I forgot how to stop. So nothing like a pandemic and moving to another state to kind of make you stop. And then I, I started thinking, well, I, maybe I should go all the way back and write the book ending on the day I changed my name to Nikki Six. And um, you're right about the dedication. You know, I was constantly working to buy bass strings and amps and afford rehearsal or try to build a stage set. And I, I learned that from my grandparents growing up. I mean, hard working, rural people barely getting by from check to check. And, and constantly working. And, and I've been working since maybe 13 years old, you know, just working, mowing lawns. There's a million jobs I did, and we get to talk about that in the book too. But what I was hoping to do was show people, like your first 21 years, I think there's this belief system that you have to have it all figured out. Yeah, you better figure it out. You know, you're going to get married, have four kids, two cars. You're going to, what are you going to do? And 
without the outside pressure and just the instinct, I think in our first 21 years, whether you're Magic Johnson, uh, you know, Brett Favre, Brad Pitt, any list of musicians, there was a moment and you went, this is what I want to do to follow it. And, and what I wanted to talk about was like, what does following it look like? You know, I took a Greyhound bus at 17 years old to Hollywood, California. I mean, we're talking from a small town Idaho farm kid uh, in love with music into the belly of the beast. And, you know, I, I, I learned while I was down there. I learned how to be a better songwriter. I learned how to put shows together. I did putting different bands together. I had a, uh, I, it was like, this is what a band looks like and sounds like. And anything that doesn't fit in that, I, I'm not going to settle. And if it meant I was a dishwasher or hustling jobs, selling vacuum cleaners or all the other jobs I did, it was all to get to that point. So I, I, I thought it was good to, the first chapter is called the stadium tour. And it really talks about the training that goes into doing a big show, you know? And I, I think a lot of people, they go, yeah, you know, these guys, they roll out of bed, they get lucky. Uh, a couple songs pop out and then they're rock stars for life. And it's not true. You know, it's not true. You know, the hard work that goes into it. So that's, that's a part of it. And, and the other part of the book that um, I love getting back in contact with my first girlfriend, my best friends, like, and, and it really helped uh, push the book forward in a, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of an innocent book yet with some, you know, some jagged edges in it. It's definitely not the dirt or the heroin diaries. It's about what everybody uh, goes through in their first 21 years. You know, my story is a little different, my family and da da da. But uh, that was really about the hard work, the hard work, the dedication. Fantastic. So the Nikki Six story I find to be an incredibly positive, incredibly inspirational story. But clearly, especially early on, not always silky smooth. You mentioned your grandparents yeah. and who largely raised you. And there was one little paragraph, Nikki, that you pulled into a little box that really also jumped out at me. And that's where you talk about the recipe, if you will, for a rock star. And if you want to add uh, neglect, abuse and abandonment, your words yeah. on top of a young kid who's impressionable, and imaginative, yep. that's a recipe. Talk yep. about that. That's incredibly honest to put down I, and write it. I, I, um, I, I do, there's three things I do. I carry a notepad or a book and a pen with me everywhere I go. And I carry some form of a camera, you know, something simple. And um, I've always felt a little bit like I'm documenting my life. So a lot of the like lyrics and stuff I wrote when I was going between Idaho and Seattle, I, I was learning. I, what I don't like is when people are like, yep, I woke up great. Like I did not wake up great. I woke up and had to work and envision what I wanted and say to that. Some people call that manifestation. You know, I think that's a little oversimplified. I think it's, it's the brutal hard work that you put into it. I talked about songwriting. I talked about dealing with family members. So, you know, if you read this book and then I give you this information, you'll be like, oh, wow. Um, when I wrote the lyrics to Primal Scream, it's about my mom and dad. 
right? And it a lot of kids at the time, I think that song came out in 91 or something, uh, would come up and say, man, that like song gives me strength. And so as, as a young boy, I was always documenting everything. And when I got into Los Angeles, I mean, talk about having your mind blown. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. My, my uncle, Don Zimmerman, who is the president of Capitol Records, um, said one time that Los Angeles was the place for Frank. And uh, I think that there's, Frank's a dreamer. Right, we all have a version of that dreamer in us, and um, I wanted to also frame that dreams, hard work, dedication, strategy, and then the other thing I did. I remember being younger, and people were like, "Okay, you're the weirdest dude ever." Not only have my notepads and stuff to take pictures of and document, write about it. um, I. I started reading all these books like by music lawyers and I really figured out uh, how the artist is at a disadvantage. They don't know what they're, that they don't really understand it. And when we were young and no one would sign Motley Crue, um, we formed our own record label. But, but because I had read these books, I kind of had an idea of kind of like what distribution looked like and, yeah, I was very young, but still trying to, you know, figure it out. I remember this person who will remain nameless when the band like started to go. I just, uh, we had just finished up all the Shout at the Devil uh, dem- uh, demos. And it was pretty obvious that there was some lightning in a bottle um, with the band right there. And a guy came in and, and offered to buy all my publishing. And it was more money than... My, my dad, my mom, my grandparents, my aunt and uncle, any of us would, would have ever made c- combined. And I remember I was reading about that in some uh, uh, books about how artists lose their rights to their publishing. And then when they're in their 50s and 60s, they have to do things that are, you know, not exactly... What I would say, I, 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 your dream would want you to do, but you got to. So if you don't know how to manage your money, you don't understand the, the industry, you're, you're going to leave Hollywood with a broken heart and a broken wallet. So that was kind of a weird you know, thing for me, learning that kind of stuff. Amazing stuff. And the book is so full of, of these little jewel anecdotes Another one that jumped out, and you're so well known for the Gibson Thunderbird on bass, but I'd love to uh, uh, jog your memory a little bit and go back to Red's Trading Post. Yes. And a Les, and a Les Paul guitar. Yeah, fake Les Paul. Fake Les Paul. Um, which, you know, you don't know the difference. Uh, I, I thought I was probably buying a Gibson Les Paul. I was so young. But um, I had come uh, back from Seattle where I had had my mind blown. Uh, I was, you know, I remember going to see Kiss open for Savoy Brown. I get the Paramount Theater. There was like Rush, Queen, and Kansas all in the bill. And Queen was like either the bottom or the middle. And uh, T-Rex, Mont the Hoople, Aerosmith, Montrose. Just loved it. And I, I had started playing by then. And... Um, and was playing with people, but also in a weird way to start to write my own songs. But I went back to Los Angeles. I went back with uh, a precision, I mean, excuse me, uh, Idaho. Uh, and I went back with 
because I had to leave Seattle. And, you know, in the book, it kind of explains that um, being uh, um, arrested at a Rolling Stones concert for, um, uh, for, for drugs. But the truth is I had somehow become the kid at the party that could roll a really fast joint. So people were like, you know, hey, Frank, you even knocked me out a couple joints and blah, blah, blah. So I was at the Rolling Stones concert with all my friends because we couldn't afford to get in. I'm sure ticket price was like $11 or something. But we were just little, little, little kids. And um, somebody asked me to roll a joint, and I did. And two cops came up on horses, and I got arrested. That led to me leaving Seattle uh, and going back to Idaho with that base. And then I worked on the farm up there moving irrigation pipe you want to if anybody ever wants to complain about their job i'm like why don't you take a week and move irrigation pipe i got a farm you'll you'll be so happy with your job you got mud all the way up to your your hips so um saved up money and uh, i would go with my grandfather to twin falls idaho and there was a red's trading post as you mentioned and it um they sold everything you know fishing gear guns that's why my grandfather was there but here's me staring at this guitar and I bought it. I bought it at Red's Trading Post. So then, you know, I started playing more guitar and trying to, uh, I, I was always into songwriting. It's like weird. I didn't want to like learn everybody else's music. I was like, oh, I really like how that song goes. Let me play the chords backwards. Let me like, you know, so that's, that's what got me my guitar and, um, you know, in Idaho and then Greyhound bus to Hollywood, California. That's a bad idea. 17 year old kid going to Hollywood on a bus. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the book is so full of great stories like that. So Nikki, I, I mentioned at the top that we've been lucky enough to have you on stage with us at advertising week a couple of times. And I'd love to talk about what brought you to us. And I know you've done incredible charitable work uh, with Covenant House, starting yes. uh, Running Wild in the Night way back when. That all came out of your own experience and your best-selling book, The yeah. Heroin Diaries, uh, which has had incredible legs over the years. And as I recall, that was really from those journals that you referred to yeah. that you wrote over a year period in the mid 80s, yeah. but you become a tireless advocate about the opioid crisis in America. Yeah. That's what brought us together. That I'd love to talk about your journey to that. And when you were that 17 year old kid or getting busted at a Stones concert, I can't imagine that you imagine decades later, no. you'd be one of the most powerful voices for yeah. a huge problem that kills more Americans every day than anything else that's happening yeah. out there. It's, it's horrible. I, I believe that it's, you know, that's those decisions that I made at that time through people that I met, you know, having a lot of money, really like, you know, a house. And it was the eight, like 86, 87. I mean, it was, you know, everything that you can imagine. And something was missing in me. And I remember when some guys, you know, turned me on to uh, heroin. They were like, hey, do you want to try this? And I just remember thinking, God, historically, Miles Davis, Keith Richards, Johnny Thunders, like these cool writers, William Burroughs, oh, yeah, I'll give it a try. Um, that's the first thing I say, never try it. Never try it because there's a part of it that's so good, but it's the devil. 
So, you know, you do it a few times in a row and you wake up and you can't get out of bed because you're going through withdrawals and detox and, and people uh, do desperate things to get those drugs. And then we have the, the death rate that we have over over prescribing from doctors, insurance companies not monitoring that um, administrations, different ones uh, laying into the issue or just kind of kind of getting into it. And I feel that, you know, I went through that. I did that. I made those mistakes. And now it's my job to talk to people about the dangers and the, and the death rate of that. I, I have no problem talking about it. Um, it's my, it's kind of like my duty to be honest with you. I don't really have a choice. I, I'll be in Poland and I'll be playing and like five kids will hold up the heroin diaries book and be crying. Or like, you know, it's, it's like ha honesty can help people not make the, the, the same uh, mistake. You know, so what, what if I just like, you know, went through rehab and kept it quiet, never really talked about it. People would say, yeah, I heard he was a mess in the 80s. I would be doing a disservice to uh, human beings, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and that word, honesty, that was my biggest sort of overall takeaway from the first 21. It's such an honest account of that early part of your life. Uh, Nikki, talk about back then, music obviously such a huge, huge part of your life and it's how we've all been lucky enough to come to know you. Talk about that early part, that first 21. Who were you listening to? Who was influencing you? back in those early days the, those those uh, early 70s you know i'm 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 a child of the 70s so i read this article once i think it was in newsweek or something it said the music that you listen to as a teenager you will always listen and you're like yeah my like parents were always listening to like you know uh, dean martin and frank sinatra that was like their music you know our music was sabbath and you know zeppelin and aerosmith so, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I got to grow up in a time uh, where songwriting was key. You listen to a song like Dreamweaver or Band on the Run with uh, Wings, you know, Paul McCartney and Wings. You listen to any of these, these moments and moments where artists were going from AM to FM and guys like Jimmy Page, it was like, we don't write songs for radio. And then they do Stairway to Heaven. Leonard Skinner does Freebird. It was a, a time of uh, experimenting, new technology, new sounding. Players were really good players, but songs were key. I don't even know if they would sit down and go, this, this, this is a great song, or if they were just rocking out. You, you know, I don't know if they were this is a hit song. I always hate that when people goes, oh, yeah, that's a hit song. I'm like, I, I mean, I get it. it. It sounds very palatable. But um, what is a hit is what connects with the audience uh, internally, you know, spiritually, and some kind of connective tissue to their life so they can relate to it. The 70s, you know, were, were all that. We also, and I'm always like really clear to talk about this. We also had punk rock. I mean, talk about you know, grabbing everything by the scruff of their neck and shaking it up. And then you had New Wave, which at the time I would think about New Wave, I was like, well, it's so vanilla. But in the last, like, you know, 15, 20 years, I'll, I'll hear a song 
And I'm like, you know, that is really good songwriting. It's just that I, I wanted Tony Iommi. You know, I, I wanted Jimmy Page. I wanted Mick Mars. I didn't want that. But I will tell you, in Jerome, Idaho, uh, just a couple blocks from the potato farm, I remember getting a record by the New York Dolls, 1973. And I was like, what, what, where, what is this? You know, we had T-Rex and uh, all these bands that were um, pushing the envelope musically and uh, visually. And, uh, you know, that's really think about it. How was I going to do what I had in my mind in Jerome, Idaho, if I'm looking at a New York Dolls album cover or I'm, you know what I mean? I'm looking at some of this stuff with Bowie. So, like, I had to, I had to get out of town. I love that you included on the cover of the book in the lower right. It's very distinct and very not distinct at the same time, but it, it jumped at me. I'm guessing that's the old Tower Records on Sunset. Yes. That was a magical spot for a dreamer to go in there. I also worked at a music store, um, uh, too, one warehouse records. I don't know if you remember them. And the other one was music plus. So I, I always think like today kids have this like music plus tower records experience right on here because they can go or on like uh, different like uh, platforms, you know, whatever there you can go. I want to listen to music from the forties. Now I want to listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. Now I want to listen to Donna summer. Now, I mean, we would have to go through and, you know, we would like look at the album cover and think, is it worthy? You know, album covers were a big, a big deal. That does the album cover match the music and there's the lyrics and there's the credits. And it's like, what's a producer? What's an engineer? What's a mastering guy? And like where these bands were from. So nowadays kids can do that. They can't get all the information. They go Google it or something. But yeah. I think it was a really great time, man. Record yeah, stores, come I, on. I miss, I miss records. I worked in a record store too, J&R Music World down in Lowell oh, yeah. years ago. So yeah. just to wrap, Nikki, it's been quite a, a time for us all. And you guys are going back out on the road. Huge stadium tour uh, in uh, 2022. I think you start back up in June. Yeah. That's got to be something that you're really looking forward to. I know you have spent a lot of time on the road and you and the band at this stage of life. I'm getting it's a different thing. There's a lot less pressure in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the thrill of being on stage and getting back out there, that's got to be exciting for you. I mean, I was, you know, we, we were pretty much, you know, we were done. But the concept of a stadium tour versus if they would have called and said, the Netflix movie did good. Uh, so-and-so wants you to do an arena tour and here's how much money. I don't know if I would have done it because I've been doing arena tour. I mean, we played stadiums too and lots of festivals, but just the idea of going and doing a stadium tour and with Def Leppard and with Poison and with Joan Jett, everyone's so excited about that night. And I think after, well, not after COVID, I think COVID will still be here in some version or not but people are just dying to go out and have fun. And I feel like that's a really fun night. I talked to a couple guys, you know, in different bands and they're like, man, I've never seen the crowd go so crazy. So people are really excited to celebrate it as is the band. The hard part is, uh, 
And a base Duff from Guns N' Roses told me, because uh, they're out doing stuff, he goes, yeah, after being home for like, you know, whatever it was, 18 months and going back on the road, he goes, it was an adjustment. And, and I feel like I'm going to have that same adjustment too, because I've never been home this long. I'm just home and I'm creating and I'm writing and the book and stuff. But like, you got to get in shape to get out there. You know, it's a stadium's a big, big stage and you got to be able to, uh, well, you know, all the way back to the hard work, how irresponsible and narcissistic of me to go, yeah, I'm just going to roll out of bed and go play the stadium tour. Uh, when 15 minutes into the show, I'm like panting like a wolf uh, or like a hound dog. You know, I just, I can't, I can't get through this. So it's like, the diet starts, the, um, you know, resistance work, the mobility work. And the reason I put that in uh, the first chapter is that I wanted people to be like, oh, I mean, I, I, I know people in di different tours that tell me things and like Mick Jagger is so focused on being the greatest singer and greatest performer and the greatest rock and roll band. And that guy and many other guys, they'll ride an exercise bike for an hour before they even start getting dressed. They're like keeping their energy up, right? So, you know, that's about to start for me. We're gonna uh, be working on promoting the book in LA and then I'm gonna take a little vacation. Um, and then back and then that whole thing starts because you, you got to remember we start if we're in June We start rehearsals for a month in May then comes a month and a half before that stage production Are we going to use fire? Are we not going to use fire? Are we you know, what are we going to do in the last? Two and a half years since we were designing the last show technology has changed so like we have all these new opportunities to, to do stuff and uh, we work really close with Def Leppard because we're we're doing a co-headline so it's like you know be sure that every, all of our stuff works together and the, the road managers work together and the team works together a lot of work goes into it but man when you step on stage and you break into Dr. Feelgood I'm just like I can't believe this is my life I could flash back to Jerome Idaho telling my cousin Michelle I'm gonna be a rock star when I grow up and she's like okay <laughs> okay, sure, whatever, weirdo. Well, that will be one for the ages uh, for us all, all your fans. Uh, we can't wait. And the first 21, How thank I you. Became Nikki Six, an incredible, heartfelt story. Nikki, thanks so much for doing this. It was great to see you, you again it. and great to have you with us here at Advertising Week. I was going to ask you a question. Did you get the song yet? The first 21 song? No. Okay, so I'll make sure that gets sent over to you, but uh, just make a little quick thing. You know, as, as I've gotten older, uh, the idea of doing a record and a tour seems not as fulfilling as doing a record with a book. I've got all eight millimeter uh, footage from my family that was cut together by this great director that works with Paul McCartney. So we're connecting all the emotional um, tissue to make you know a book and an album with a song called The First 21. The song The First 21 was written in response to the, the book. So we talk wow. about being young and uh, I'm very excited. Yeah, we'll make sure you get a copy. Awesome. It's, it's a fun you. project. That's great. Well, every success, stay healthy. And uh, yeah, I marvel. I think the 
part that will air. We, we, we're done with already. But I can't believe I saw a little clip of the Stones last night, did a private yeah. before the stadium tour starts in a few days. Yeah. And that Mick at that age is still, you know, doesn't stop moving. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you you. But that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. No, it's not by Great. accident. Strategy. Great. Great. Bye, right, man. Stay well. Great to see you. Thank you, man. Thank you. you say-